Will Turpin is the bass player and founding member of the band Collective Soul, and he's here today to tell us all about the latest album the band has out called Vibrating. It's got that classic Collective Soul, catchy sing-along choruses and melodic rock that I personally love. Uh, Plus, he's got some good stories from the old days, like singer Ed Rowland sleeping in the studio, hanging with Van Halen and Brett Michaels. And plus, he tells us all about some other projects that he's working on. All this and more coming right up. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Big fan. Love Collective Soul. Uh, just now discovering your solo stuff, too. So a lot of great stuff to talk about. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the new album. Uh, it's called Vibrating. The, that's a title. It's based on sound vibrations, right? Or is it something more? Yeah. The, you know, all frequencies, everything breaks down to a frequency and it's always, you know, vibrating. Uh, so that's what it is. You know, it, what you know, what are these frequencies that hit our ears and make us feel a certain way and remember certain things, you know, so it. it it all breaks down to this little scientific thing, but we all know that it's actually turns into something magical that we really can't describe how, you know, how it makes us feel this way as humans. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then you guys now Ed does all the, or E as he likes to be called now, he does all the songwriting, but what you guys must do something with the arrangements and things. I mean, what do you guys add the, the band add to the songwriting and, and making the songs? Yeah, I mean, he definitely comes to us with a, and depending on the song, sometimes it, it will be developed out of a jam session, but um, he comes with a strong, um, especially later in the years, you know, in the earlier days, it was more out of jam session and, and literally just, he called them vowel movements. Uh, so it was oh, like, it wasn't even real words. And, and, and we would create a little more from scratch like that. Uh, uh, it, it, that being said, as lyrics, no matter what, how we're creating music as a band, uh, his lyrics have always been, uh, you know, one of the strongest things about this band. Uh, but yeah, man, we all kind of grew up in the studio, even now today with Jesse Triplett, you know, he's been with us nine years. This is a guy that grew up in the studio. So it's uh it's a band that kind of produces themselves and arranges themselves. We always have. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the studio. That's um, that, that are different roles that everybody takes on. Um, but uh yeah, man, we're all over that record. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, because I just had the drummer from uh, Credence, Clearwater, on, and, and we were talking about that, how, you know, like they had so many hits with Credence, and then John Fogarty went solo, and for some reason he only had two two hits or, or a couple hits, even though he was the main songwriter, but there must have been something about the band together that pushed him to make better music. I don't know. It's, it always makes me wonder about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I've always said chemistry is like the most important thing with a band. So if you've got chemistry, then you can build on that. And that becomes uh, something that's kind of bigger than the sum of the parts. Is that the right way to say that? You know, one and one equals three kind of thing, you know? For sure. So, so the chemistry is right with the musical, artistic thing like that. Then uh, it can uh, it makes it bigger than it really is. Yeah, no, I love it. The, the, it sounds like classic collective soul i mean that's one thing i love about collective souls that's never really you haven't really had a lot of like experimental albums it's always been that kind of collective soul sound and like the from the first tune on this one cut the cord that song's really good i'm surprised that wasn't the first single although all our pieces is also it's i guess that's also they're both really catchy really good sing-along choruses 
Yeah, I mean, we used to like fret over what was a single so much back in the day. <laughs> and it's not really like that anymore. We want certain songs to be heard. We, we've got to pick singles. But yeah, man, I mean, Collective Soul, it's uh, it, it's one of those sounds that, you know, first record people couldn't pigeonhole us. You know, we sound like nobody else. Only We only sound like Collective Soul. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we're a very eclectic band. We've got a lot of different sounds and you can't really, it's really hard to say exactly what subgenre collective soul is. Cause I think we cover a lot of those subgenres. Um, and then in the end, you know, it's just a rock band in the end. Uh, yeah. The, the Beatles can do long and winding road and, and, and do helter skelter on, on, you know, then it's all in rock and roll, but yeah, man, we, we it's just, it's just part of our MO. We only do what we do well. And, we stick to that. That and, and again, that being said, we are a very eclectic band. There's a lot of different sounds you'll hear on every one of our records. Yeah, there's this piano on. Um, I, I don't know if there was as much on this one, but on the other, on um, what was the one before? Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who that was? Was this Ed do the piano? Ed, uh, there's piano parts that if it's like a featured like piano part, you can tell it's going on with the vocal. It's more than likely Ed. Uh, almost always Ed. If it's just like a little keyboard part that might be in the background of course or something, a lot of times that's me. Uh, most of the time that's me. Uh, but yeah, man, if you hear a part that's going working with the vocal, Ed can sit behind a piano and write a song just as good as he can on an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar. So. That's interesting. Yeah. I was, uh, I was trying to look for interesting facts about trivia, about collective soul. I didn't realize that uh, on the 2000 album, you guys had Elton John play. How did yeah. you get Elton John on a song? That's crazy. I never knew that. Well, being from Atlanta, uh, you know, he used to live here a lot. Um, huh. I don't think he's not here as much anymore. Uh, I still think he's got a place, but um, I think the Georgia politics finally got to him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so he he befriended us. Elton John befriended us because he was in town and he became a fan of the music because he heard the music. Uh, while he's living in Atlanta and he knew we lived in Atlanta and one thing led to another. And of course, um, Ed was going to try to find an opportunity to get him on a record. And yeah, man, I, I thought that song perfect day. I don't, I'll hear it every now and then like background type music, uh, in home Depot or something like that, you know, but, uh, I thought that song would get a little garnish, a little more attention. I thought it was extremely well done. Uh, Elton's part just fits like a glove. Uh, and and I'm really happy with everything we did as a band as well. But yeah, man, that's a cool song. That's got to be frustrating when you write these, you know, or you record or whatever these brilliant songs, and you finish the product and you go, okay, this this is a masterpiece, and then it doesn't get the reception you want. I mean, what's interesting about your new album too? I noticed when I was looking on Spotify, uh, "Back Again" is the most popular song, and that's not even one that you put out as a single. Why do you think that one rose to the top of the most popular? Um, probably because of the baseline. That's one of my favorite. I like that vibey thing that we do. We that's another kind of sound that Collective Soul can get into. It's 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 the vibey kind of mid tempo song. Um, I love that song. So yeah, I mean that's great when you you see what people gravitate towards. That it's one of those things that, like I said, in the especially in the nineties, we would we would really deliberate over what's going to be the singles, and and now we get to. We, we definitely want to put singles out, but we get to sit there and watch on the streaming platforms mm -hmm. and see what people are gravitating towards naturally. That's interesting, too, because it's like a deeper track. It's number nine of 10. So it's like people must have listened to the full album and then 
gravitated towards that one for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Another good perspective. Yeah. I think that's awesome that yeah people are listening to the entire record. Yeah. Yeah. So you're the, the band collective soul. It's such a fascinating story to me. I didn't know some of the backstory. Can you clear some of this up though? Because um, I'm trying to figure out Probably how- not, not in five minutes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just some of the basic stuff. So it's just, I love these kind of like, you know, when the band is nothing and then they make it, I love those kind of stories. And it sounds like, um, now was it Ed was working at, what was it like the church? Ed was doing landscaping and was a janitor at your dad's church to pay the bills. And no, well, am I close? Yeah. Uh, my father, I'm, I'm at my studio right now. I took ownership of my father's studio um, about three years ago. Real but to real. Opened, yeah. Real to real studios. Yeah. He opened the studio in 76 in Stockbridge, Georgia. Um, so Ed went to Berkeley for one year, came back home. Um, I think he was doing some odd jobs for cash every now and then around the church. Cause you know, preacher's son, he got the easy jobs. Uh, but no, he was head engineer. Ed was head engineer at my father's studio. Um, oh. the last, you know, the last all, all during the eighties, uh, and early nineties, he was, uh, he was busy, man. Uh, producing and engineering all kind of cool bands. Um, I think one of the first ones he did ironically enough is a uh, RuPaul in Atlanta. RuPaul really? do straight up, pop records and ed engineered that that was one of his first ones probably and uh i think he started working at the studio maybe 82 or 83 we were talking about that the other day uh maybe 83 um but uh me shane ross dean uh we were a really tight-knit core and we were hanging around the studio as well uh all at the same high school we were watching Ed work on his craft. Ed was uh six and a half years older, seven and a half years older than uh, me, Shane and Ross. And uh, we were fans of Ed's music. And the short version is, you know, we were hanging around the studio. We were all buddies. We knew Shane, Shane immediately right out of high school was in Ed's band. Uh, Ross was soon after that. And then me and Dean were, were kind of the last two to join the band. But we knew that those five guys, uh, chemistry wise, we knew that that would be the strongest chemistry we could have. Uh, and, and when I committed to bass, I'd, I'd never played bass. It was more about a, being in a band of brothers and understanding um, understanding the direction of Ed's songs. We really understood the direction and where we were going to go with them. And uh, honestly, we just wanted to record as much music as possible. We really wanted to develop and show people what we had. And that's kind of the short version of how Collective Soul came to be. It's, right. also, it's also why that second record is significant as the self-titled record. We went into that recording process as a band and, and the first record wasn't recorded as a band. Um, Are you guys on the original? Re- That's the other thing I wanted to clear up. Cause I thought he said something like it was different musicians on the first record. Uh, Ed's playing bass a lot. Uh, Shane's on the, you can tell uh, Ross is on the record. Shane's on the record. You can tell the records that have acoustic drums. Shane was there helping him out with everything. The, the, I think the point there is uh, it wasn't recorded as a band. Some of those mm-hmm. songs were recorded for uh, more of a songwriter demo where Ed wanted to maybe shop some of his songs. So even a song like shine, um, the only real performer on that song uh, other than Ed is Ross playing the solo. Um, There's program drums that I think, I don't know who, if Shane was around to help that or Ed Ed just totally programmed himself because he did it either way. They did those things both ways, but you know, shine, um, 
you'll hear that if you go back and listen to that first record, you'll be able to tell the ones that were maybe intended for a songwriter demo. But the first record, Hints and Allegations, Things Left Unsaid, it became a collection of the best rock and roll stuff that Collective Souls, a band, was doing. So we did release a record that wasn't really a band record on an independent label, and it later got stamped by Atlantic Records. And the way Shine started rolling downhill, there was no time to go in and re-record. That's what we always thought. Hey, let's get signed off this collection of songs, let them see us play live, and then we'll record a record. And uh, Fate had other ideas for us. So the first record stayed as it is, and we went in and recorded a brand new record and called it Collective Soul. But they were... um... Ed was pushing "Good Night, Good Guy" as the single, right? And "Shine" was the yeah. B side. And then the uh, some DJ uh, played that, it. No, nah, that's no, no, no. Those the, I don't know how those story. I mean, folklore. Folklore. I mean, we would have maybe thought in our minds that "Good Night, Good Guy" was our best rock, straight ahead rock single. Mm-hmm. But we weren't pushing anything. We were. I was twenty three years old. Ed was twenty nine, and we had just signed to Atlantic Records. We knew that they had. Uh, you know, promoted uh, and 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 can you know, and were part of ACDC and Led Zeppelin and all these legends. We we didn't we didn't go in there with any kind of business plan on what we thought was going to be the way things were. But again, Shine started on its own. There was no decision with Shine. It mm-hmm. was a it was a snowball at the top of a mountain, uh, and it got kicked off the mountain, rolling downhill because uh, JRR in Orlando, Florida, Steve Robertson, a DJ on a radio commercial radio station, added it in full and in, in a it wasn't full rotation. He added it in a Sunday night um, shootout and we kept beating everybody. Next thing you know, we're in rotation. We're the highest, uh, highest call in, highest, um, you know, recommended or, or, or requested song. Uh, and before that, we were just on college radio with an independent record and nobody was watching. Um, Nobody was listening. So as soon as that happened at a huge commercial station in Orlando, um, we actually had options for which label we wanted to sign to. And again, our, the the uh, the forte of our business acumen was that Atlantic Records had Led Zeppelin and ACDC and Foreigner. So we were like, that's that's our label. So that's how yeah. you're not businessmen when you're when you're young artist you know sure no and I, I just love but it's such a it's such an inspiring thing that ed i mean he was 29 which i remember at the time hearing that he was going to give up he just wanted to be a songwriter this was that he wasn't yeah. even really that's exactly why we were he was promoting some songs yeah. that were for a songwriter demo yeah but he was this true part true where he was before you guys made it he he was working in that studio he was sleeping in the studio and he wanted to be a producer and then he didn't uh, every three or four days he'd go to a friend's house to shower. He was like living in the studio, right? Uh, his uh, parents' home would have been uh, the the drone footage of Stockbridge, Georgia is pretty um pretty small town. It gives you a small town vibe. The church, uh, the Rollins house, my house, Ross's house, the studio. We're literally not talking half a mile radius, mm. and it's in that little main street of Stockbridge. Um, Ed would have just went wherever he had a place to crash and he would have had a bunch of good options. Again, it gets blown out of proportion like he's a vagabond, but he had a <laughs> lot of warm, he had plenty of warm beds and homes that were well. Sure. I, I think the uh he true enough he did spend the night underneath the mixer because it would keep you warm in the winter. It was the original studio was a basement studio and it could get kind of chilly down there in the winter. So um my father uh was super supportive of Ed. Um, definitely, you know, one of one of my father's favorite 
relationships and most successful thing that he was ever a part of. But uh, Ed, Ed had carte blanche. Any free time in the studio, Ed was able to go there and record and work in the studio f- for free. Um, and so he would be there a lot in the middle of the night. So at 4 a.m. when you're done and you're cold, you just curl up underneath the mixing board. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't some it wasn't some means because he didn't have a way, a place to sleep. It no, was, but it was, was just easy. that he was so driven that he wasn't like, he wasn't like, Oh, I'll just work a nine to five and go home and hang out and watch TV. Like he was working yeah. his ass off is what it sounds like. You know, that's the storyline. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he was driven and working his ass off in every free, free minute he could get at studio. And like I said, meanwhile, me and my buddies are hanging out at studio and, and appreciating everything he's doing. And yeah, the short version is his friends started getting real jobs and getting married and, me, Shane Ross, and Dean came up. Yeah. So then this record blows up, and then you guys go on tour with Aerosmith. I mean, that must have been surreal. Did you? Did they? They must have given you some sort of advice or or something, because this is kind of one of your big uh, first big tours, right? So they must have had, like helped you out a little bit, taking you under their wing. Yeah, a little bit. They weren't they weren't too too uh, going out of their way to to put their arms around us. And and the only reason I have that reference is because the very next year we did three months in every arena with Van Halen. And, and it was really, uh, Aerosmith guys were great to us. Um, Steven told me to stay away from his daughter. Uh, that was about the best <laughs> advice he gave me. But Sam, Tyler, yeah. Yeah. Sammy and Eddie Van Halen, uh, and Michael Anthony, man, they, they, you talk about somebody who put their arm around you and really, um, we wouldn't be the same individuals or the same band without that tour and without the the friendships and the way they treated us and, and what they taught us. What did they teach you? Uh, a lot about the music industry. Um, and they also taught us uh, how to just perform, focus on your performance, have fun. Uh, and then they gave us a sense, they gave us a sense of, a, of, of acceptance and, and, Hey, you guys are the next generation. Y'all are a freaking good rock band. Y'all are going to be next. Y'all are going to do what we're doing. Um, and they gave us that feeling. They gave us some confidence um, and literally helped us during a rough time in our in our history um, with our lawsuit and our first manager that we went through. They Without them, we got uh, a lot of help from them with how to deal with that and uh, right. what steps to take. Yeah, I know you can't talk about that. Tell me about this story, though. This the, I, I heard you talking just briefly about this. I want to hear more about this. I know you're not a fan of hair metal. I love hair metal. So Brett Michaels comes to hang out with you guys at the one of the Van Halen shows, and he's talking about, like, what do I do? Because this was 1995, and nobody gave a shit about Poison. Yeah. Tell me about that story. That just sounded so fascinating to hear Brett Michaels saying, what, what, up, what do man. I do? And you dug that story up. That's true. He stopped in one day, literally. You know, for some of those um, hair bands, it went from selling out arenas to within a year or two years, they really couldn't hardly sell a ticket. Um, where Van Halen, this, if you're from the 70s or 80s and you're a real rock and you weren't just blowing up your hair and singing about getting laid and partying, and uh, which was a, a very small amount of uh, lyrical content that they used in the hair band days. But uh, it was, it's obviously a, a good topic to write rock songs about, but um, you just wanted to hang out, man. He just wanted to hang out and see what was going on. I guess. I don't know, man. He was for us being young. We were just like, man, we get, we know what's going on with collective soul. We know what's next for us. Uh, mm-hmm. I listened to Brett, but I, I didn't have time to even think about what was next for poison, but you know, things come around now they're selling out of 
stadiums again with with the band. So it's uh it turned out fine for him. But sure enough, man, he did he did show up one day and hang out with us. And then he hung out with us on the day off. We played golf and stuff. And uh, yeah, he didn't know what to do. That's Actually, cool. I, I, he seems like a pretty cool guy, though. He's like seems like he a, is nice a cool guy. guy. He's yeah. a real cool guy, and he was dating Pamela Anderson then too. So they came to the L.A. show and uh, got to meet her. Wow, that's pretty exciting. All this stuff must have been really crazy just to happen. It kind of was like almost overnight for you in a way, right? Super overnight. I mean, within a year, uh, we're unsigned and playing for opening up for Aerosmith and playing Woodstock 94. Oh, great. Yeah, that was I just saw. Did you see that documentary? Because you, you played 94 and 99. I can't, Was the documentary was 99, I believe, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it was tangible. The difference between 94 and 99, the moment we got on site, it is totally tangible. You heard people like squawking about $4 waters and and even my vibe, my own personal vibe. I was like, ooh, we're on top of a cement landing strip. It's a tarmac. This is nothing like 94. 94 was so grassy hills, huge crowds. Uh, it was fun. 94 was great. Had a perfect vibe. And then 99, like I said, the moment we were on the on the ground uh, at, at Woodstock 99, something was tangible, something was different. And it was the the injection of corporate greed. So that's an accurate portrayal, the miniseries? It's pretty accurate portrayals from what I saw. Yeah, I mean, they might have had some video footage that you didn't see a lot of. They might have had some extreme video footage. But the overall take, it was tangible to me the day I stepped on the the site in 1999. Crazy. Well, I know you got to get going here. Um, I did want to give your uh, solo stuff a, a shout out. So you have this band. It's called, I love that you call it Will and the Way. Yeah. Right. And, sense, uh, right? <laughs> what's that? I had to go with it as soon as I came up with it. I had to stick with that. <laughs> yeah. So, and this, this is, um, this is your solo. So you can write all that. You write all these songs. You're the front man. It's totally different than just playing the bass in Collective Soul. Right. I mean, this is, this is your project, your baby. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my first instrument was piano, um, and um, I was percussionist for a long time. So, yeah, I sit behind piano. A lot of times the Rhodes or the Wurlitzer. And I come up with some a little more funky, um, maybe a little little pop funk that, uh, you know, it's a different side of me, and I get to explore that outside of Collective Soul. So it's uh, we've always thought, uh, Ed, me, Ed, and Dean, uh, working on some music outside of collective soul is a good thing for us. We always thought that'd be good for the whole. Um, we never looked at it like doing something outside of the band would be bad for us. And, and when all of us were doing our side projects, everybody's like, Oh no, they're breaking up. And and we really had the totally, we had a totally different mindset. We weren't breaking up. We were spreading out a little bit uh, and recharging our batteries for mm. when we got back together, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, man, my, my solo stuff's out there and, um, I'm, I'm going to do some more. I'm, I'm here at real to real studios a lot right now. I'm here right now. Spent the night here last night, um, by my disheveled headband. Look, you might be able to tell that I spent the night in the studio. I didn't, I didn't sleep underneath the mixing board like Ed would have. In, in, uh, <laughs> but you're producing some bands too. You're producing Hey Dreamer. And then it was, was it your son and nephew's band too? Yeah. Uh, Tristan, my son, Tristan's here, uh, working on his stuff. Uh, a band called the Corduroy Blue out of Woodstock, Georgia, barely north of Atlanta. Really talented young guys. Uh, Mary Martin out of Noonan, Georgia, and a really cool, fun, Mobile slash New Orleans kind of uh, 
kind of swamp rock vibe, Red and the Revelers. Uh, I'm having real fun producing them too. So all three of those acts, uh, the Summit also out of Cincinnati, Ohio, a good rock band out of Cincinnati. All four of those acts will have a, uh, a Will Turpin produced single out in the next six weeks. So Okay, very cool. We'll look for that. And then are you guys going to add some shows as for Collective Soul? Because I think the, all I see right now is like a Tacos and Tequila Fest and a uh, Hootie Fest in uh, Cancun. Right. Yeah, there's some big festivals that we've already committed to. And I think there'll be a few other weekends, maybe one weekend in November that's not announced yet. It'll be like a casino kind of thing, maybe. Uh, stay tuned, man. Stay tuned. You know, Hootie Fest is going to be fun. Check that out if you want to go. It's a bunch of old friends between... Uh, Hootie, uh, Jen Blossoms, us. We're going to have fun. So, Oh, very cool. Yeah, I saw you guys live a few years ago, and it was, it was great. I want to definitely want to see it again. I love that you still do the song better now, too. That's one of my favorites, and that's still on the set list, yeah. right? Yes. It oh, is. Wow. We turned it into like a seven-minute uh, – we turned it into a seven-minute journey. So it's kind of one of the things that we're, we've been doing every every show for about a decade now. Awesome. Well, I look forward to more shows. Um, and then I always end each episode promoting a charity. I know you've mentioned Music Cares, or is there another charity you want to promote here? Cares is great. They're doing a lot of stuff in Atlanta right now. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the veterans uh, group I like working with, um, Creative Vets. Uh, they're based out of Nashville, but uh, helps veterans that are artistic, but whether they're writers or even uh, players, music, uh, they can play guitar. And uh, we get together, we try to create music with these guys uh, in, a, in a therapeutic kind of uh, setting. But uh, the the songs that come out are actually absolutely inspiring and super good. So I'm going to keep working with them. And hopefully hopefully we can do some studio stuff here with some of the creative vet songs that we create um, and get those out of here. But yeah, that's a, that's a fun charity that I enjoy working with too. Okay, I'll put that uh, link in the show notes along with the Collective Soul website. Do you have your own website too? I think there's real to real studios okay. a website, and I do have a website, but for Will Turpin, I'd rather just, just push the Facebook and the Instagram. You know? Okay. Yeah. Go check you out on social media, follow you for the most up-to-date stuff. Perfect. And, yeah. And same thing with real to real studios. We're on Facebook and uh, we do a little bit of Instagram, but it's mainly Facebook. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much, Will. Thanks, Bye-bye. man. Appreciate your time, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Time. My thanks again to Will Turpin from Collective Soul. Big fan of the band, and they are great live. I recommend seeing them if you haven't already. And check out their new album or check out their old stuff. It's All their albums are great, in my opinion. Very underrated band. So many good songs. And you heard Will. Follow him on social media for the latest updates with him and the band. And you can also follow me and the show on social media to keep up. Uh, we post links to new episodes, short clips, news stories, and more. So... Of course, your likes, comments, and shares are appreciated, as always, and make sure to subscribe if you haven't already done that. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and shoot for the moon.